0: Pulp fiction covers themes that may not be suitable for all listeners. Episodes may feature true events tied into fictional stories. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Story 1 of Pulp Fiction, a podcast by Public. This is Salt Creek, Episode 10. June 17, 1979. Grand Junction Road, Adelaide, South Australia. The morning was bitterly cold as two young men walked down the crumbling black bitumen of Grand Junction Road. The sun had just broken through the horizon and the pair walked in silence as they stuck out their thumbs, attempting to flag down passing motorists. They were tired, they were cold, they were hungry, and they needed a ride. The darker-haired boy, his brows peeking at the ends in frustration, turned to the blonde, long-haired boy. Fuck, Alan, why didn't we figure out a lift last night? This is the last thing I want to be doing. I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm fucking hungover, he said. Alan, the blonde-haired boy shrugged. Sorry, I, I really thought I had money left over for a taxi. The darker-haired boy shook his head. He had a long fridge, a semi-bowl cut, and as he shook his head, it fluttered around his face. Alan stared at him, contemplating how even though this boy was so angry, he would still look so... cute. We're going in different directions anyway, Alan started to say before the dark-haired boy cut him off. What do you mean? You think you'd find a ride easier on your own? Fine then, you're fucking on your own. He began to storm off in the opposite direction. Wait, Alan said, half-heartedly. He liked the guy, but he also knew how his tempers worked. Dipping and flaring at any wrong move. He would be angry until he was home, showered and fed. Alan shrugged again, arched his head back and moved it from side to side, feeling the bones in his neck creak and grind as he flexed. He reached one hand up to his lank, long blonde hair, And swept it back off of his face up the road the storming dark haired boy's mind was whirring pulling forward images and scenarios of all the clueless things alan had done to grate on his nerves he put one hand on his stomach feeling that empty burn of hunger and realized perhaps alan was feeling the same and just wanted to get home like he did the boy paused looking back up the road where alan was standing he saw a white car Tirana, perhaps, pull up next to Alan. He watched his friend speak with someone before opening the door to the back seat and getting in. The car did a U turn and sped back past the dark haired boy. Through a wound down rear window, he saw Alan's long blonde hair fluttering in the wind for the last time. Back at the hospital, All of the images around Corey began to dissolve as he felt himself return to his body. Where am I? Am I back? He thought, the first spark of consciousness he had experienced in what felt like a very long stretch of time. He was still plunged into semi-darkness, a world of varying tones and clouds of grey. But this time, in the distance, he could hear a faint beeping and the sounds of footsteps around him he could smell the sharp antiseptic scent of a hospital, but he couldn't surface fully, not yet. His mind flattered back to what he had just witnessed. The people, cars, the era, it all seemed so real and so there. The fog began to lift in the distance and the world around him sharpened again, solidifying out of the gray clouds, As it all took shape around him, he felt himself fade again, a fly in the wall of someone, or something's memory. Alan awoke in a room that was dark, cold and bare. He was laying on a mattress in a corner of the room. His mouth was dry and rubbery and his hands felt as though they had gone to sleep. He tried to reach up and rub his eyes gain his bearings, but the tinkling of metal made him realise he wasn't able to move as he wanted to. He felt the physical realisation first, a pounding heart, twisted stomach and the blood rushing away from his head as his mind caught up. He was stuck, captured, detained. He began to strain against his bindings, the metal links of the chains twinkling in the darkness. He groaned and pulled, feeling the skin on his wrist begin to rub and split as he tried to pull his hands apart. In the center of the opposite wall, a door opened, flooding the room in warm yellow light. It was only open for a moment, but in that one flash, Alan made sure to mentally record where he was, a loft perhaps, with boarded up windows, exposed brick walls and bare wooden floors. He saw his bindings, handcuffs attached to a chain that looped through two steel rings in the wall. He also saw a man, pear-shaped, crumpy. An older man. The door slammed closed and a whiff of fresh air hit Alan's nostrils, cutting through the heavy, stale odour of the room. He heard the man's footsteps as he approached Alan then the creaking and shifting of weight as he settled on the mattress, ensnaring Alan's body in his arms. Alan was shaking. There, there, you're okay, said the man, his voice like velvet. Alan strained his mind to see if he could place a voice. He couldn't. He tried to speak, to demand release, but realized his mouth wasn't dry at all. He just couldn't form words, he panicked, Grunting and groaning, struggling to open his mouth. Stop, my boy. You don't want to hurt yourself. Gave you some medicine. You won't be able to speak for a little while. The man said, tightening his arms around Alan's body. Alan resisted, attempting to thrash from the man's grip. The man let Alan go and rolled away from him. Alan stopped thrashing and strained his ears to hear through the quiet to try and place where the man was. He could only hear a faint breathing. Suddenly, Alan felt a crack as the man's fist connected with his cheekbone. The back of his head hit a hard spring in the mattress and then another punch and another. He felt his nose crack and shuffle and the pressure began to mount behind his eyes as swelling began. As quickly as it started, it had finished. He felt the man slide up behind him again, and the puffs of hot, fetid air as he whispered, shh, you're okay, my boy. You're okay. At the police station now, Kathy was looking through little more than slits. It was late, and she was trying to finish up typing her reports. She flopped back in her chair, letting it dip as far back as she could go while she mentally scanned her story, looking for any glaring holes or details she had missed. Satisfied, she saved and emailed the document to herself before shutting down her computer and packing her bags. On her way out of the station, Kathy stopped in at the ladies' bathroom. She sat on the toilet and began to pee, the soft tinkle rebounding through the white-tiled room finished she unlocked the door and walked to the sink where she began washing her hands the warm water running out of the tap was almost mesmerizing and kathy found herself lost in thought as she stared at the water pulling in her hands she looked up and into the mirror and almost jumped in front of her was a completely unrecognizable woman with twisted knotted hair and drawn sunken bloodshot eyes her skin was wrinkled with deep gullies around her mouth and in between her eyebrows. She let out a squeak and ducked down under the sink, the water still running. The reflection stayed where it was, staring at her in the mirror. Kathy squinted as it gestured to the side with two fingers to the wall behind it. She glanced behind herself. Along that wall were stalls, clean and white. But looking back in the mirror, along the bare back wall were hundreds of photographs with names and faces secured by pins and red string. Kathy pulled herself up using the sink, closer to the mirror, so she could read the names and see the faces scattered across the wall. Her eyes were instantly drawn to Barry Lane, the name stenciled over an image of the man that she had seen when she was unconscious on the floor of the cabin. He was dead center in the sea of other images, the center of a tangled red spiderweb, Kathy let out a gasp as she processed what she was seeing. She let her eyes travel down the spiderweb to the face closest to Barry's. It was a young man, the one she had seen in the hole, Clinton Trecease. Bang, bang, bang. The sound of the stall door rattling shook Kathy out of her slumber. She was slumped down on the toilet, her head resting on the stall wall. She sat up straight and rubbed her eyes. I can't have. She thought, checking her watch. It was 4.12am. She had fallen asleep on the toilet and had been asleep for the last four hours. She sheepishly opened the door, looking around the corner as she opened. Behind it stood Janine, one of the cleaning women. So, <coughs> Kathy cleared her throat. Sorry. it's uh, It's been a long day. I guess... Uh, I guess I fell asleep. Janine burst out laughing, a high-pitched cackle that exposed her tobacco-stained teeth. Stop laughing, dumbass. Her mind echoed. Kathy furrowed her brow. Must be tired, she thought, realising she wasn't fully in control of her inner monologue. Janine's laughter burned out and she put a hand on Kathy's shoulder. Sorry for laughing, hun. That's a... The last thing I expected to find in a police bathroom," she said. Kathy managed a one smile and said, "That's all right. I'm kind of glad you did. Thanks. Have a good night." Kathy walked away to the sound of Janine's croaky laugh. Back in Clinton's dream world, the morning sun was breaking through the clouds shining beams of golden light across the contrasting reds and greens of the South Para Reservoir, as two hikers, a father and a son, walked through one of the winding tracks that led to the water's edge. The son, about 13, was running ahead of his father, excited to see the water break through the relentless monotony of gray-barked eucalyptus trees and dusty red dirt. His father jogged along behind him, barely keeping pace, John, mate, let's slow down. If you get lost, it's hard to find your way back. He panted. Come on, dad, hurry up, John yelled back. The dapples of bright green grass through the gaps in the trees, giving him another boost of energy. The reservoir, it's just through here. John ran around one last twist in the track before it stretched out in front of him. The brilliant sparkling water of the reservoir stretching out. The reservoir itself was huge surrounded by brilliant green grass and hectares of bushland. The hiking trail John and his father had taken led to a grey, flat bridge that stretched across a small stream and ravine. Making a beeline for that bridge, John had completely broken away from his father and was chuckling as he ran, safe in the knowledge that it would only be a few minutes before they were reunited. He could hear his father yelling out behind him to slow down, but John was feeling cheeky and excited. It wasn't often he and his father got to do things together and today felt special. John reached the bridge and stopped, skidding a few paces in the gravel. Hey, this is kind of fun, he thought, and kept running and skidding, getting closer and closer to the small ridges that went along the edges of the bridge. He backed up and ran for the edge without thinking and as his toes hit the edge, he tottered for a moment his heart dropping into his stomach, and his arms waving behind him like a huge baby bird. He didn't fall, but one part of him wished he had. As he grew up, he remembered what he saw in quick flashes. A twisted figure, a gaping mouth, the scent of death, a flash of blonde, bloody hair, and a carving. A strange carving he had only made part of the way through before he tumbled back onto the bridge as he lost consciousness. The carving read, T-A-M-A-M-S, and he didn't catch the rest. To be continued. Thanks for listening. For more stories visit www.thepublicbook.com, or you can follow me on Twitter if you want. My handle is at bye.